John chapter 3. Now, before you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I want to give you context for the passage this morning. I know that we took a look at the wedding last week in Canaan, um, and um, I want to finish in context a a brief overview of chapter 2. So if you turn to chapter 2 before we stand for the reading of chapter 3, just turn to chapter 2. I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. In uh, John chapter 2, starting at verse 13, I want to put it in the time frame. It's Passover. So the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And this is sweet Jesus, you know, born in a manger. He's just meek and mild. Now watch verse 15. When he had made a whip of cords, Indiana Jones-like, he drove all these people out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables. These tables were huge, and he's just just lifting them. And anyone who thinks he's just this meek, mild, milk toasty, he's, he's ripped. And he's turning these tables over. And uh, veins are sticking out, muscles are... And it's... Some of the women are doing this, and it's just... And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your father's house has has eaten me up or consumed me. And then drop down to verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs, which he did, so it's multiple signs. We just saw the miracle of the water turning into wine. Since this point up until this, from from that portion of chapter 2 to now, he's done other miracles. So many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Look at the word commit. In the Greek, the word commit is the same as believed in the previous sentence. Many believed in his name. He didn't believe in them. Many believed in his name, but he didn't believe in them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew that they were were moved by the miracles and the lights and the sounds and the bells and the whistles. And they believed in his name, but he knew the minute that they'd be tested, they would fold like a cheap suit. I don't know if that makes any sense. But that's that's what Jesus is saying. He, He sees these folks saying, we believe in him because he turned the water into wine. He's done some amazing things. And so they they believe in his name. They believe in his name that he can provide food. They believe in his name that he can turn water into wine. They believe in his name that he can heal people. But they're not looking at him as a savior. And Jesus hasn't trusted himself to them. He doesn't believe in them. He knows the heart of all men. Some of you this morning believe in the name of Jesus. You're here. Some of you are drug here and you're like, I can't wait for to leave. But, But you're here because you believe in the name of Jesus. However, Jesus knows our hearts. And, and for a lot of us, we've come into the room, and we may believe in the name of Jesus, but we're we are operating in habitual sin. We're operating in, in such a, a way that, that there is no manifest power of God's Spirit upon our lives of a transformation. Or let me just say this, a regeneration. And, and, and we, we still love everything that has to do with Jesus. We love coming to church. We love the music. We love the people that are uh, involved in, in Jesus. But when it comes to life-transforming power, God's looking into our heart and saying, it's not there. Something is missing. And though they believed in his name, he didn't believe in them. 
I don't believe you. You say you love me. I, I, I don't see it. I know your heart. There's nothing alive there. It's not beating. And so that brings us, in contrast, all of these people that he didn't believe in. Then the passage begins in chapter 3 with a man. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. There was a man. There was a man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, meaning the miracles. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, and, and actually it says, amen, or truly I say to you in, the, in, the, in, in other versions, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? How can these things be? So that's our passage. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We ask God that you would give us insight and understanding when you declare that we must be born again. Lord, that's your declaration. And so I ask that you, as you did with Nicodemus, would reveal to us what that means. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us. And Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, that we corporately would glorify the name of Jesus, that all men would be drawn unto him. And so, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a seat. <clears throat> So in context, we're, we, we see Jesus fashioning a, a whip out of cords, turning over the tables in the, in the temple, releasing all the animals, creating an absolute chaotic scene, and he is livid. Now let me just put it again into context for you, what he was doing. Um, the Jews were monotheistic. And they would travel from great distances after the diaspora where the Jews were spread out throughout the known world into, into Babylon and, and all through the Roman Empire. And so they would come back for certain festivals of the year. And here it is, Passover, the holiest day of the year. And they're gathering in Jerusalem to come to the temple, which is where God would reside between the two seraphim on the mercy seat, these angels on the mercy seat. And he would be what they call the Shekinah glory of God. He would be a pillar of, of fire by night and smoke by day. And the priests would go into the Holy of Holies and they'd sacrifice for themselves and for the people, etc. And you would bring a sacrifice that the, the priest would offer. And so at great expense to yourself, you would, you would probably be, you know, uh, 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 somebody who owned lambs. And you would take the best one from your flock and you would make sure there wasn't a blemish on this thing. And you would crate it and, and bring it from Rome. And you would travel over the Mediterranean at great expense. You would be caring for this, this, this lamb. You would get to Jerusalem. You would hire 
animals. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people would gather into Jerusalem from all over, all parts of the world, coming in for the Passover to come to the temple. And so you're traveling there and you walk up with your lamb, getting ready to sacrifice. You're in the line to go into the temple with your lamb. And as you get there, they say, oh, this is not an approved lamb. I'm sorry? There's not a blemish on it. I understand that, but it needs, it needs the, the, the Levites, the priests' qualification to be able to come into the temple to be sacrificed. That needs their approval. But look at it. It's, it's absolutely, I, I've, I've selected, this is what I do for a living. There isn't a blemish on this. We understand that, sir. But you have to follow the rules. You must go speak with the Levites, with the priests. Now, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. So they have to take this lamb to the priests, and they go over, and here they have their booth. And they look at it and they say, yes, this is, an, this is not an approved animal. I'm sorry. You're going to have to buy one of our approved animals. Well, you're kind of low on change. And so you, you go and you sell the animal and you get ripped off. I mean, what it's worth is not what you get paid for it. And they give you some awful exchange on it. They take your animal. You go over with what you have left. Plus, you have to add money to supplement the cost. And they, they've got these lambs and they're out in this pen and you get to pick them and they're all the approved ones, but they're all just mangy looking and sick and they're, <coughs> and, and you, you think, well, wait a minute, I just sold a healthy one to get one of these manges. And you, 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 you go to pay and they say, oh, I'm sorry. We, we don't take Roman money. You're going to have to use temple money. So now you take what you have left and, and you go over to do the exchange from the Roman money to the temple money and the exchange rate, they just get you going and coming. And, and now you've got to go and sell something else just to make up the difference. And then you get back in the line, and then you go and buy one of these. And then you see your lamb in that pen. And you're like, are you kidding me? And it's three times the price or five times the price of what you sold it for. And by this time, you're just you're sick of it. If this, is, if this is what God's all about, I don't want anything to do with it. And you go through the motions, and you just drag yourself to church, and you're trying to find the Lord in some capacity. And, we, and, and these buildings that, that are all over the country and around the world where people come to connect with God, they get just discouraged because it's, every week it's about money, and it's a building fund, and it's a plaque, and it's, and it's all about buildings and baptisms and budgets, and you just wonder where the Lord is in the mess of it all. And you, every time you turn on the TV, they're asking you for another dollar. And you just want to give up. And that's, that's how you feel. And everyone who went through the system in the temple just felt ripped off and milked. And Jesus comes into the scene. And, and the priests, those who really want to do right by the Lord, they've entered into the priesthood for noble reasons, but they've gone through the politics of it all. Come on in. Here we go, everybody. Just Good to see you. Nice to have you with us. <laughs> I, was just, I just said that because I watched everyone go, <laughs> Stay with me. Stay with me. <laughs> and so, so now, now they, they, they want to do right by the Lord. <clears throat> and these priests have entered into the priesthood. But the next thing you know, it's all gotten to a place where they've kind of lost how it's all supposed to be. And if they've worked through the ranks and they've risen to some place of authority, somewhere along the line, the sincerity of why they entered the priesthood just kind of fell to the wayside. And they found themselves trapped in the system. Their heart still burns for, for justice. Their heart still burns for truth. Their heart still burns to have a relationship with God, but they got lost in the system if they wanted to rise. And on the scene comes a reformer. Not a reformer, a regenerator, a rebel. 
He walks in and he does what every one of those priests that really entered into the priesthood for the right reasons lost a long time ago when they were young and now that they're older. They're watching this guy come in and this guy's doing what they wanted to do a long time ago. He has the chutzpah and he's just whipping and turning and setting and he's just saying, my father's house is 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 a den of thieves and robbers. This is to be a house of prayer. And he's angry. And he's just setting everything free and everyone's watching. And no, you know, they're just watching their tables turn over and money's rolling through the temple. And, and they can see fire in his eyes. They're like, I ain't messing with him. He's like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And the, the, you can just hear whoosh right by your nose. He probably didn't hit you, but he, he was close. <laughs> and and, and they're, they're just, they're mesmerized by it. And then when he finishes this, all of a sudden the people are like, whoa. And they've heard the story about the wine, the water to wine, and they've heard all the other stories and other miracles that have occurred. A miracle that he could turn over tables and not get arrested and beaten up. That's a miracle. (laughs) And many believed in his name, Jesus, like Pacquiao last night. Manny, Manny, loser. And and he... (laughs) I just, it happened. If he tithes on his winnings, that's $11 million he'd be tithing. I just thought I'd think it. Is he in church this morning? (laughs) Mayweather, thank God, is he in church? All right, where were we? But they believed in his name, and they. But Jesus didn't believe in them. They liked the fact that he was a rebel. They liked the fact that he was doing stuff everybody always wanted to do. They liked the fact that he was, you know, exacting justice when everybody felt ripped off, and he was a voice for the people, and on and on and on, because there was something in it for them. But they didn't want to change. Everybody wants reform. But nobody wants regeneration. You see, the problem is, the problem is, you, you, can, you can make something really nice and we're still going to ruin it. I, 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 I look at this and Jesus comes in and he doesn't entrust himself to the people because he knows their hearts. Now stop for a minute and let's examine our own. I swear to God I'll never do that again. And what do we do? We do it again. We love the name of Jesus and everything associated with the name of Jesus, but we're in habitual sin. We go to church, but nothing changes. Week in, week out, week in, week out. Our kids watch us and they go, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why we're going to church, mom and dad. You guys still fight. I don't know why we go to church. You guys still drink like fish. I don't know what the point is in it. Things are caught, not taught. I mean, I go to my Sunday school lesson, but I don't see, I, I don't see the manifestation in your lives. I don't know why I'm supposed to go through an empty procedure that doesn't present itself in any capacity. You still yell. You're still angry. You still cuss. I know who you are. I live with you. The ones closest to us. And, the, and maybe we figured out that we, we don't want to go through regeneration and we've already lost the battle of attempt of ref, reforming. And so we just remove people from our lives. And, and we, we present ourselves to be more spiritual than others so that nobody even wants to be around us. But that doesn't do it either because when we're alone at night, we, we live with us. Right? I live with me. My wife may live with me, but I live with me all the time. I didn't come to church because I wanted to make a better me. I came to church because I was sick of me. 
in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. I know what I am capable of. I know what I've done. And I don't want that anymore. And in the midst of all this where people said they love Jesus or they believe in his name, Jesus doesn't believe in them because he knows their hearts. And this morning, does he, does, if we're going to be candid with ourselves and he looks into the depths of our heart, does he see someone whose life has been regenerated? Now, let me explain to you what I mean because the text deals with that. It says there was a man. There was a man. In contrast to the others that believed in him that Jesus didn't believe in, there was a man. And, and he was a man of the Pharisees. Let me tell you about Nicodemus because in verse 10, which we're not covering this morning, in verse 10, it says that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? We've studied this before in our earlier passages. Nicodemus was the head teacher. It was a theocracy. He would be equivalent of the president of Israel. He, he, would, he would be Barack Obama of Israel right now. He was the head guy over everything. In, in Israel at the time, there were 40,000 rabbis at the time of Nicodemus. There were 40,000 rabbis. These are teachers of, of, the, of the scriptures. And of the 40,000 rabbis, there were 22,000 Levites. Now, as I said earlier, all priests had to be Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And these, they were all capable of being priests. And, and of these... 22,000 priests, they would select out of this 6,000 Pharisees. And these Pharisees were the ones, they were the preservers of the word of God. They, they would every jot, every tittle, meaning crossing every T, dotting every I, they were committed to the word of God. They were legalists. They wanted to make sure the word of God was implemented in this theocracy. And they were committed to the rule of law. And of these 6,000 Pharisees, they would select 70, which would be the ruling class of this theocracy called the Sanhedrin. This was the government of Israel at the time, the 70 Sanhedrin. Now, Rome had its hand over it, but within this nation that was still ruled by Rome, they had this government system of a theocracy with the 70 Sanhedrin. And in the 70 Sanhedrin, there was one, these 70 Sanhedrin were the rulers, but there was one who was over all of them, and it was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the third wealthiest man in all of Israel. So let's just for a moment take a look at a man who knows the law completely and honors it and is so revered among men that he rises above the mess of humanity and accomplishes all of the necessary degrees to be elevated to the leadership of this theocracy. And he's wealthy, third richest man in all of Israel. He and Joseph of Arimathea would be the two that would ultimately bury Jesus' body. But this guy's rolling in money. They said of his daughter's wedding, it was the most opulent in all of Israel. Uh, Nicodemus' brother, uh, brother-in-law was Josephus, the, the Jewish historian. And so here you have the leader of all of Israel. He's a wealthy man. He's a Pharisee. He's a Sanhedrin. He's a Le- I mean, he's got it all. He's well-educated. And he's the ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. I have heard people calculate that the reason why he came to him at night is because he was scared. I don't think so. I think that's easy. Because he came to him by by night and later he comes to him by day and he's not ashamed. I, I think he was cautious, yes, but I don't think he was afraid. Because it says that he came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we... We know that you are a teacher come from God. If he was scared, he wouldn't be having conversations with others. We know he talked to Gamaliel. 
We know we talk with him because August 3rd is called Nicodemus uh, Coffer of Gamaliel Day on, in the Roman calendar, which means he lived in the house of Gamaliel. And it was said by Josephus, a historian, that, that when Nicodemus embraced Christianity, he lost everything and he lived with Gamaliel till, till he died. And Gamaliel and Stephen and Nicodemus were all buried together. And the likelihood is Gamaliel came to Christ. Uh, we, we know in, in Acts chapter 6, it says, And the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests were obedient to the faith. So we know a lot of these priests came to Christ. But the first to lead is Nicodemus. And he's trying to figure it all out. And I think he just has a busy schedule. I mean, he is president of, of Israel, in a sense. And he oversees this theocracy. And he comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus is busy. Everyone's hanging around him. And finally, he just comes. He knocks on his door, and they come in. They sit down. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And, and Jesus answered and said to him, now this is the part I love. Jesus answered and said to him, well, Nicodemus didn't ask a question. Did you notice that? Stay with me here. I know it's the early service. <laughs> Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. I don't see a question mark anywhere in that statement. Jesus answered and said to him, I want to tell you something this morning. There's questions that you haven't asked yet, and you don't even know how to ask that God already has the answers to. And, and you're going to get the answers to questions you never even considered asking. Because the Lord knows your heart better than you do. He knows my heart better than myself. And he looks at him, and he just cuts to the quick. He goes, right. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. And he goes right to the heart of Nicodemus. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a huge statement. And it's confusing. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. Most assuredly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. You came here looking for something. And you know what? I, 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 don't, I really don't think, it was at night, I don't think that Jesus was preaching to him. I think, I think he grabbed his face and he just said, Nicodemus, truly, I, I want to say to you, unless you're born again, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Your whole life you've been wanting to do this. And I bet you Nicodemus probably came to Jesus at night going, I can't wait to meet with this guy. Somebody needed to turn those tables over. Finally, someone did it. This, this man is amazing. He comes to him and he says, I know you're of God. I, I, you're a teacher, rabbi, a, a authority. We know that you're a teacher come from God. And, and, and Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. What? What do you mean born? I, I want to see the kingdom of God. What do you mean born again? What do you mean? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? I, I don't understand what you're saying. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I, I have five kids and four of them were homegrown. Michelle gave birth to them. One's grafted, Natasha. I was at the birth of all four of the, the, homegrown, or the homegrown kids. And I remember when they came out, I'm like, they ain't getting back in. I mean, that's a mess. What? There's just things I didn't even know were in there. Anyone been by this? Uh, first of all, you're thinking, how did that come out of there? 
<laughs> ain't going back in. I thought that'd be funnier. <laughs> Let alone you go 30, 40, 50 years and, and, you're, and, and that's a great question from Nicodemus. I don't, what are you, born again? What are you talking about? Born again. You know, I want to share with you uh, on Thursday, I had a, de- a debate at uh, the Civic Arts Plaza with, at the city council chambers, legal women voters. And it, was, it started at 6.30. And I had, a, I had a full morning. I had to take, uh, I, I, I didn't have to take, I got up early to make sure that uh, the pastor from Uganda got connected. And thank God for Zach, because he drove him to Ontario Airport for a 5.30 flight. Whoa. Yeah. And I was up at two to get him going, and I'd gotten in at like midnight. So I got two and a half hours, two hours sleep, and I, I got to go back to bed, but I had to get up early for another deal. And, and then I had to take my daughter, Natasha. She, she had decided on her own, for those of you going, your parents forging you? No, we didn't. Okay, relax. <laughs> uh, she made a decision wholly on her own at 21 years of age, wholly on her own at 21 years of age, that she wanted to go for a one-year discipleship program to uh, Teen Challenge, the girls that are up here. And I, I said, okay, so we took her up to Ojai, and she saw it. When we got up there, they were all singing. We met Rosie Weir. It was just beautiful up there. Rosie says, you know, you're not going to be here the first three months. You're going to be in the induction center, either in L.A. or in Bakersfield. She says, I oversee L.A. It's a little rougher. It's in Linwood in the middle of the inner city. Uh, and Bakersfield has more property, but I won't oversee that. And Ma- Natasha says, well, I want to go to Los Angeles. So Michelle and I drove her to L.A., and uh, we get there. And we, we get there just a little after 3. We were supposed to leave earlier, but it was delayed, and their induction was delayed. And I'm looking at my watch going, oh, man, and the process was slow. And we get her all situated. She's thrilled. You know, and, and the, the, it, here it is, a really rough part of town, but they're all welcoming and so sweet. It was like an oasis of love. And Natasha's thrilled about it. She's got her verses all lined out. Uh, and she did this all on her own. We were, we were stunned. There's a transformation. Let me correct that. There's a regeneration happening in my daughter's life. We've prayed for over a year, and we're watching a regeneration occur in her life. Now, as a father with a bank account, I can take care of the symptoms of her problems, but I can't take care of her problems. And, and we, we're really good at hindering our children from experiencing the consequences of their actions. And I could do that, but we chose not to. People can consider us cruel, consider us not nice, or, but I, I, they're, they're entrusted to me. I'm the steward. My wife is the steward. And if God wanted your opinion, he would make you the steward. Okay. So, so we, we get there. We get there. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's wonderful. And we just sense the peace of the Lord. Now I look at the wall. I go, honey, I got to go. I got to be at this. I got to debate. And I haven't even looked over the notes. And she, she's not feeling well. Her back's broken. She can't drive. So I'm driving. And she goes, do you want me to read the notes? No. Uh, that won't work either. So I'm just driving. And we hit every bit of traffic you can imagine. <laughs> And I'm watching the clock, and then we run out of gas. I go, honey, you didn't put any gas in the Suburban. I'll, I'll pull over and get some right now when we don't have any time. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I put, you know, five gallons in as quick as I can to get going back on the road, and we're driving, and, I, and I'm supposed to be there at 6.15. I pull up not at 6.15, but with six minutes before we start at 6.30, so 6.24. 
And, and my heart's racing, and I, I had to go home and put on a suit because I hadn't changed yet, and I didn't even have time to put on a tie. I just walk in there, and League of Women Voters, I've never done this debate before, and I'm in front of a, and, and I, my, I was just, it was overwhelming. And it, everything I could, and, and I sit down, and, you know, I look out, and there's a room full of people I know, and I'm just comforted. And the, and the Lord took over, and it was fine. But I wanted to share with you the point of all this. What blessed me more than anything, as difficult as it was, and all of the journey that we've endured and the experiences that we've had with our daughter, I'm watching a regeneration of my daughter's life. She loved the things pertaining to Jesus. She loved the name of Jesus. She would listen to Christian music, but there was no, there was no regenerative power in her life. The things that would besiege her and the things that she would struggle with and all the things that plagued her in her childhood and all the issues that she had faced and, and the traumas that she had endured up until the age of 12 before we got her and all the things that she did and, and what she experienced when she moved out of the house, all of that was manifesting itself in such a way that, yes, she loved Jesus his name. She loved the church. She loved her family. She was grateful for all that. But the things that she didn't want to do, those things that she hated, she was doing that. And the things she wanted to do that she knew was good for her, she wasn't doing that. And she said, what is wrong with me? And I would ask you the same question. Those things that you know are wrong and they're bad for you. And you're just sick of them. Your family's sick of them. Why are you still doing that? And the things that you really want to do that really bless your family, why aren't you doing those things? And I would suggest and propose to all of us, including myself this morning, is there a regeneration in our life or do we look at Christianity as reform? What I mean by that is, uh, have you ever seen the show Extreme Makeovers? I mean, it's not, I don't think it's on anymore, but they, they, they would take somebody and, and you just, you know, they fell out of the ugly tree that hit every branch on the way down. <laughs> and, and Hollywood is going to do this miraculous, you know, and, and you, you, they do it. And, and, and it's, and wow. And they look great on the outside, but their life is still a wreck on the inside. And, and... What's the show, What Not to Wear? I mean, really, it's all external. What not to wear? I mean, I, I could star in that show. The cool thing about being me is you don't ever have to worry about your kids stealing your clothes. <laughs> but the point is, everybody loves these shows and are drawn to these shows because everybody wants a fresh start. And the older we get, the more baggage we carry. And we just like to cut the ropes and let it float away. But we have the memories, we have the connections, we have the problems, we have the issues, we have whatever it is that is attached to all that we've done. And we just want a fresh start. We want a new beginning. Do you want that? You don't have to nod because like, I don't want to tip my hand. Well, let me, I'm going to make it easy for you. Everybody in the room wants that. Everybody wants it. And really what Nicodemus was saying is, how do, I, how, do I, how do I get a fresh start? And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And then Nicodemus is baffled. He says, how do you get back into your mother's womb? I don't understand what you're saying. And then Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. And, and Baptists and a bunch of others say, well, that's, that's, um, that's proof that you must be baptized in order to be saved. First of all, let me just dispel that. Two reasons. One is the thief on the cross was never baptized and he's in heaven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Secondly, everywhere that baptism is used, Christian baptism is used in any example in the scriptures, it's always unto death. Jesus is speaking of life. And when he says water, it's, it's the issuance that when a child is born, and I have seen it. I remember when, when Michael, uh, it was a Wednesday night, and, and Michelle was, you know, she was starting to have, you know, more contractions, and they're getting closer. And I was preaching on a Wednesday night. They gave me a note, and they said, it's time. And I look in the foyer, and she's holding her stomach. We get in the car, and every baby was successively quicker. And, and you know, like now under an hour. And I am just busting into the hospital because I know what is in her family's tradition. Her, her sister was born in a car and Michelle was born at home because Dee couldn't get to the hospital in time. I was like, go, done. <laughs> and I'm driving to the hospital and Dr. Van Geem, I'm, I'm, you know, and, and, and Michelle's saying, call my mom and dad. They're not answering. I'm like, oh, man. And, and I, you know, fourth kid, I'd I just kind of given up on how to be a birth coach. All I could remember was blow out the candle thing. But I... I, I, I what am I going to do here, man? I don't know. Oh, this is, and I'm getting to the hospital and we get there and Michelle, I can see that it's, it's, it's go time. She says, go tell the nurse it's time. I said, um, okay, I need them in here. I said, okay, all right. So I go out there and I tell the nurse, I said, you got to come in. Uh, it's time. She says, Mr. McCoy, we do this for a living. You need to just, you need to just calm down. I'm like, this is my fourth kid lady. Uh, my wife said, she needs you. Could you go in and Mr. McCoy, I'll come in when I have rounds to do and I'll be in just a minute, okay? <laughs> well, could you then call Dr. Van Geen because he won't be here in time for the delivery. We'll call the doctor when it's necessary, okay? <laughs> and I, I can't remember, I think it was Nurse Ratchet or something, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I come back in and, and Michelle goes, hey, you, now you got to get him. And I'm like, all right. I go, you got to come in now, please. Okay. She puts her coffee down. This, this is just not acceptable. And she's, she's walking in and she goes to see how far my wife's dilated. And this, this is where it says, this is where it says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, water and the spirit. So she goes down and check my wife right there. My wife's water burst. I'm like, and she's, I'm like, do you need a tissue? <laughs> Nurse Ratchet? <laughs> Wipe that off. And he's, uh, uh. When a child, when a child is born, when a child is born, anyone who's been there, there's an issuance of, of fluids, water. The water's broken. And that's what Jesus is referring to. He says, in a physical birth, there's an issuance of water and the child comes forth. The same. There's an issuance of water at the spiritual birth. You, it's, it's the same thing. It's a birth. And unless you're born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You were born physically. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do you marvel that I say to you, you must be born again? Now, 
the term's been hijacked. People get irritated. Oh, one of those born-again believers. 82% of Americans say that they're Christians. 82% of Americans say that they're Christians. 40% claim that they're born again. You can't be a Christian unless you're born again. And some of you go, well, that's, now you're pushing it, Pastor. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. <laughs> it's in red. <laughs> and, it's, and he says, you must be born again. And the word must in the Greek means must. <laughs> Imperative. You've been born physically, and it's time to be born spiritually. You see, man was perfect in a trichotomy, as it says in Thessalonians. Soma, psyche, and pneuma, body, soul, and spirit. But the spirit told the, the psyche, the mind, how the body would operate. It was aligned. It was the way God intended. The spirit would dictate to the mind what the body would do. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit departed, and then they became fleshly and soulish, and the body would dictate to the mind, and, and it's just been this continual battle, and you're trying to dress yourself up and reform and do an, an extreme makeover and wear the right clothes, and it's still you, and it's still me, and the things we don't want to do, we do, and the things we want to do, we don't do, and it doesn't matter how many extreme makeovers you do, you're still struggling. And there, there's no regenerative power. You're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a fleshly creature. The Spirit of God has departed. You love the name of Christ because He's the author of life, the sustainer of life. Those things make sense. You see people in your life whose lives are flourishing and are being blessed, and you're drawn to that like a moth to a light. But you still haven't entrusted yourself. You haven't been born with that regenerative power. You must be born again. Yes. <laughs> and then he says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I love this. First he says, marvel not. And, and, and I, I love the fact that Nicodemus didn't, didn't ask Why? Why do I have to be born again? Why are you Christians? Why do I have to be born again? Nicodemus is far more educated than you, and I would just simply say this. He didn't ask why. He asked how. I mean, do we have to go through remedial misery again? 101? The things that you don't want to do, those you're doing, and the things you want to do, you're not doing? Don't you get this yet? Ask the people who are with you. They're frustrated. There's no ability to change. You don't have the freedom to say no to certain things. You want real freedom? Freedom isn't having the ability to say yes to everything. Freedom is the ability to say no to the things that are killing you. You don't have that. And, and, and at this moment... He, Nicodemus, who is educated and he is mindful and he's thoughtful and he has committed his life to this, says, how? How do you do this? I can't, I can't grasp this. And this idea of water and spirit. 
if the new birth that Jesus is speaking of, this born again, is powerful enough to change our eternal destination from hell to heaven, don't you think that it would be powerful enough to change our earthly lives for the better? So let's stop for a minute. You love the name of Jesus. You're in chapter 2. You've, you've, you, you believe in his name. But as he's searching into your heart and examining your life, is there power in your life to have victory over those areas? Because the new birth is powerful and life-changing. It's, 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 it's the endowment of power by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, for those of you who think, well, evidence of being, uh, of being born again is speaking in tongues. I don't want to insult you, but I got news for you. It takes more Holy Spirit power to wash dishes than it does to speak in tongues. Why don't you go wash the dishes for your spouse? Well, I speak in tongues. Good for you. You're irritating. Go wash the dishes. <laughs> Show us that you're not selfish. What are you doing about your anger? That's Holy Spirit power. There's a transform, there's a regeneration, there's an absolute endowment of power that gives you this strength. And, and, and Nicodemus, he can't quantify it, he can't understand it, the dynamics of it, he can't categorize it. But I got news for you, Jesus is saying, just because you can't categorize it, just because you, you can't quantify it, or you don't understand the dynamics of it, it doesn't mean that it's not real. You have, there's wind in the room right now. You don't even know where it's coming from or where it's going. But you know it's there. You'd be stupid not to. Sailors operate based on that. They can't see it. But I, I, I look at this idea that when you're born again, you see the, when you're born, you see the effects of it. I remember when my kids were born. I saw the effects. The egg and the sperm and, and life was generated. And it seems like everything now in, in Hollywood is all uh, artificial intelligence. And what happens when the robots take over? Well, first of all, Hollywood has been operated by robots. It's just like the same thing. I'll be back again. But, but you look at artificial intelligence has no soul. The, the, the synopsis of this movie, Ex Machina or Ex Machina, or I don't know how you pronounce it, this robot just takes over. No soul, just stabs its creator. And then people are talking about you know, manipulating DNA and removing certain you know, aspects of the gene. And I have news for you. We're, we're, we're probably going to be able to create superhumans and remove certain diseases, and we're going to mess with it and just get funky with the DNA. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to happen in our lifetime. But I got news for you. There's still a soul inside that package. There's still a soul. There isn't a soul in a robot of artificial intelligence, but there's a soul in this birth. And you can see the effects of it. And, and, and so you see the wind blowing where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born in the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be? How can these things be? Next week, Jesus is, Jesus is going to say, he's going to explain to them or explain to Nicodemus how it takes place. We'll study that next week. 
But today, the imperative that we must be born again, it's real. You can't, you can't quantify it. You can't categorize it. You may not completely understand it, just like the wind. But Jesus is saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. We'll learn next week what the process is. It's not a, it's not a natural thing. It's not an extreme makeover. It's not a transformation, but a regeneration. You can't huff and puff and make yourself better and make a New Year's resolution to have this happen. It's spirit-driven and spirit-led. You see, man right now is physically alive but spiritually dead. And when our body ceases to function and we haven't reconciled to God, we're gone. And we're separated from Him for all eternity. It's what the Bible calls as hell. The reason why it's hell is because Everything that, that God isn't, hell is. And if he's love, hell's the opposite. If he's life, hell's the opposite. We reject him. We don't reconcile to him. We're not born again. We're not part of his family. There's two ways to get into the McCoy family. Two ways. Now three. You can, you can be born into it adopted into it or marry into it and that's the only way to get into God's family we're estranged from him and we must be born into his family you are not a Christian unless you're born again and let me just share with you what that means in a physical birth you have the egg and the sperm creates a zygote the child develops and is born yes in a spiritual birth as we're going through the word of God Jesus pointed out, and John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh, verse 18, and tabernacle dwelt with man. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He, he, he is, he, it, when Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. He was completely wrong. He wasn't a teacher come from God. He was, a, he was God teaching man. You must be born again. You must be. And the idea is the word of God is the seed. And that seed is sown into the deepest part of a man's soul. And it begins to develop. And it comes to life by the power of God. As you trust him with your life. You don't do it, he does. I got news for you. All five kids, I had nothing to do with fashioning them. Neither did Michelle. Now, she experienced what was going on in her body. But when it was 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, whatever. That's God. And physically it's God and spiritually it's God. And, and you'll never get through this until you're born again. You know what, I, 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 I'll, I will transition into communion with this last thought. War is awful. Amen? Amen? And so is disease. Amen? Violence, murder, it's awful. But I love what C.S. Lewis said. 
War doesn't increase death. Disease doesn't increase death. Death is complete in every generation. We're all going to die. War doesn't increase death. Every generation is going to die. It's just a mode on how we die. There's no peace. There's no understanding God. There's no cultivating life on this earth to impart truth to others so they would know the truth and the truth would set them free, that they would have access to know what it means to be born again. There's no, there's no dialogue. There's no communication of that. War is an attempt to stifle that. War is always about ideas. But war doesn't increase death. Disease doesn't increase death. It doesn't. Death is complete in every generation. So when the Lord says you must be born again, must is an imperative. And my question is, if it's so easy, if you're a universalist, if it's so easy to get to heaven and, and we all go, why is he saying you must be? Everyone makes that decision. And it doesn't matter if you're the president of a country or the leader of a religious organization. Jesus says you must be born again. Now, I'll give you a brief how. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. Now, I have to tell you something. I've done this for 14 years as a pastor of church, and before that as an assistant pastor, and before that, and before that. And I've done it at, at opportunities in large venues to present the gospel and see people raise their hand. I've watched people come forward. I've witnessed face-to-face -face with people in coffee shops and restaurants. I've shared with family members. I've imparted how, how to be born again, that, that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, and he, he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. He imputes his righteousness on your account. You're made right with the Father, and you're born again, and this, this creates a regenerative new person. And, and oftentimes I'll say, come forward to receive Christ in, in different venues and people come forward. I, I got news for you. Oftentimes people raise their hand and some people come forward and they're not born again. They love everything about the move. They love everything about coming forward. The music drew them. Their friends pushed them. Somebody wanted to walk with them. Maybe the girl that they brought him was, she was beautiful. And he thought, you know, if I go forward, you know, that's all I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't know. God knows if you've been born again. And you know how you know? Just like when my kids were born, there's evidence. And if you've been born again, there's evidence. You're not snippy with your spouse. Hello? You're not mean to your kids. You're not bitter. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's manifesting in your life. It's multiplying. It's, it's birthing. You're a new creature in Christ. The same power that, that regenerated you from death unto life, from, from hell unto heaven, is now transforming you on this earth. And I don't, I really, I could give a flip how religious you are. I don't care if you've been in the church your whole life. You're still snippy. You're still bitter. And you've told everybody about the Lord and you've told everybody about this. 
It's called regenerative power. It's called being a new creature in Christ. The old passes, the new comes. That's born again. Sin becomes the exception, not the rule. Do you want victory this morning? You must be born again. You want, you want a new start? You want a new life? You want a, the old has passed and new has come? You're ready for a fresh start? You want the reset button? I don't want to... Yes, what, where is it? <laughs> Today is the day of salvation. Jesus, I want to be born again. I want to receive you as my Savior. I, I don't completely know how it all works, but I know you can do it. Lord, save me. And he will. You call upon the name of the Lord, he'll show you great and mighty things you know not of. He'll realign your life and he'll be in charge. He'll give you power to overcome things that you never could overcome before. He'll use your past together for good. And this is how he did it. Here's the miraculous power of it. God became man and was fully God, fully man. He walked the earth, was tempted in all ways, just like all of us, but never succumbed to it. He was completely holy. Thus, his blood wasn't tainted with sin because the wages of sin is death. All of us are on death row. I can't die for you and you can't die for me because I got my own penalty to pay. But a man who had never committed any sin, who was without sin, comes forward and says, I want to die in Rob's place. I want to die in Sam's place. I want to die in Ken's place. And, and, and the only way we can do this is Rob says, I, I, I receive that. Now, he's already died in your place. You just have to receive his forgiveness. His body was broken so that his blood would be shed for the remission of our sins. That's the power. There's power in the blood. It washed away our sins as we receive it by faith and then we're born again. It's not enough to go, I like the idea. I want that to be conceived in my life. Take my life and give me a new one. He will. And this one he's going to be in charge of. Lord, I surrender. And I give you my life. So, we're going to take communion. And the way we're going to do it is, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, today's communion time. This is symbolic of what's taken place. His body broken, his blood shed for the remission of your sins. The ushers are going to dismiss you in a moment by rows. You'll come down the side rows, go back to your seat through the center aisle. You'll sit down. You'll hold the bread and the cup in your hand. The order is that when the worship team is playing, you take the bread first because the body had to be broken before the blood could be shed. And if you, and I've said this before. If, if you get the order wrong, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. It's just symbolic. And you take the bread and you just say, God, thank you that you suffered in my stead, that your blood would be poured out, that I could be born again. Thank you for this new life. I'm a new, new, not reformed. I'm a new creature in Christ. This isn't, this isn't a, a, an extreme makeover. This, this is a brand new person. A new creature. Led by the Spirit, dictating to the psyche, the mind, what the body will do. 
Your family will be blessed as this is conceived and born. And our community will be blessed as well. So we'll take communion together. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And as the worship team comes forward and our hearts are prepared to receive from you, we thank you that just like with Nicodemus, Lord, you understood in chapter 2 all men and you didn't trust yourself to them. But there was a man, a man who was really searching. He never said, why do I have to be born again? He said, how? How? And so, Lord, today we know that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved to the glory of the Father. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that though we can't quantify it, we can't explain it, just like with the wind, we can't even see it. We see the results of it. Our family sees the results of it. Lord, we we may love everything about Jesus and all the miracles, but it's time to give our life to him and be born again. We must be born again. And so, Lord, with that imperative, we come to this table. And we know that we're born again because of what you did. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. It was your body broken. It was your blood shed that we could have a reset and be a brand new creature in Christ, cleansed of our past and prepared for our future. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.